again. Another episode here of Sports Tate with Kyle. Glad to have you on board. Uh, and maybe if you're listening for the first time or if you're listening for the, the fourth time now, I believe this is the fourth episode I've done. I can't even keep track. All welcome. Glad to have you on board. Thanks to everybody who's been participating on what is now a weekly tradition. The hashtag Hot Take Friday. We, we closed up shop last week on Hot Take Summer. As everybody knows, Labor Day officially ends summer, no matter what your actual thoughts are on that. So Hot Take Summer is officially over, but Hot Take Friday will continue. Love seeing everybody interact with that every Friday. Save them up. Let them loose on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you wherever you so desire, at KPAFF3587, at Stephen Kyle, hashtag Hot Take Friday. Thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping in and all that. And coming up later on in this episode, we will get to some Rate My Take that's been coming in lately and use that hashtag as well so I can make sure to save those and I can rate your take properly on an upcoming episode of Sports Tate. A couple of things I did want to get to today, and, you know, it's kind of a byproduct of doing this podcast, not not every other day or twice a week or even weekly, is some of these things are going to kind of fall through the cracks. And what I was really fired up about a couple of weeks ago, or I don't even know if it was that long, it feels like it, because the news cycle goes so fast, especially in sports, was the Detroit Free Press and Justin Verlander having a bit of a dust-up. Now, Justin Verlander pitched for the Detroit Tigers for 13 years, won an MVP, won a Cy Young, won, you know, it will be in the Hall of Fame. The only thing he didn't do in Detroit was win a World Series. And he, but boy, oh boy, was he the epitome of an ace. He did everything asked of him, and he was a tremendous pitcher who reinvented himself after seemingly losing some velocity. And it was really, he was an icon of Detroit sports. So he was traded away uh, on a deadline deal to the Houston Astros, where, as everybody now knows, he went and won a World Series there. And most recently, threw his third no-hitter for the Houston Astros, which puts him in pretty rarefied air. Six pitchers ever have thrown three no-hitters, and he's part of that group now. And he looks, honestly, in his mid to late 30s, better than he ever has. But it's always a story when him and the and the Tigers face off, and that's because he was a member of the Tigers for so long. So the Tigers were in town in Houston a couple of weeks ago, and without knowing the reasons beforehand, and we know the reasons now, or at least the reason that Justin Verlander claim he knows claims he he says are why this happened. It doesn't put a very positive image on Justin Verlander for blocking out a single reporter who works for the Detroit Free Press, who was in Houston to cover the three-game series between the Houston Astros and the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers aren't very good, like I talked about, so the only real story here is the Houston Astros and Justin Verlander, a World Series team, possibly the best pitcher in baseball, happens to be going against the Tigers. And Anthony Fenich, who is a reporter for the Detroit Free Press, trying to do his job in the media scrum and and ask some questions to Justin Verlander, but was blocked by three security guards before even entering the clubhouse to even talk to Justin Verlander. Now, I don't have any anything extra for this. It's an interesting story because it seems like Verlander in the last five to six years has been extra prickly with the media. And, I, and maybe he can. Maybe you're at this stage in your career and your highlights are, are what they are to where you can start treating the press like that and not have to worry about ramifications. And in this case, 
it looks like he's getting away with something again without ramifications. He bars this reporter, which is a given right in the collectively bargained agreement, and he bars this reporter because of some quote-unquote unethical behavior that at the time he refused to divulge. Since then, the Detroit Free Press has published a story on their version of events as to what's happened in years past, and it doesn't help Justin Verlander's image at all. He didn't like his uh, conversation with Al Kaline being put out in a couple of tweets, even though it was just a casual conversation. He didn't interpret something in a, during an interview as being on the record when it was on the record and claims that it shouldn't have been published in the Detroit Free Press after he was even traded. Made him look kind of bad in the Detroit Tigers medical staff. Uh, he he kind of played some bl- placed some blame for a misdiagnosis at their feet. So Justin Verlander has decided he wants no more interaction with Anthony Anthony Fenich, which, okay, that's fine. But there are certain ways to go about it. The main way you can go about it is to simply ignore him. It's a media scrum. There's eight, ten reporters from Houston, Detroit, the Associated Press, wherever, all they're asking questions. You simply can either tell him right beforehand, I'm not going to answer your questions, or just skip over him and, and go to the next reporter. And this whole thing would have blown over. I don't think Anthony Fenich would have written anything about that. Oh, Justin Verlander doesn't like me. Boo-hoo. That would have been a bit of a sour grapes moment. I don't think the Houston Astros would have said anything. Instead, we now have Justin Verlander making a scene. And that's the only way to put it. He's absolutely making a scene by saying, I barred him from the clubhouse. He has statements coming out disputing himself. The team's defending him. He's saying he didn't bar him, and then later on it's coming out that he did bar him specifically from the from the clubhouse, claiming he called the Detroit Free Press when the records show that his agent called the day of a game in Houston to have a reporter sent out to Houston. Like, that's going to happen. We're in a day and age where newspapers are dying off on a yearly basis. We don't know what or if any will remain even in the next 10 years. And Justin Verlander's big plan is to call the Detroit Free Press from Houston on the day he's going to pitch, or have his agent do this, rather, and say, you can send somebody else out here. Like, the Detroit Free Press is going to pay whatever rate for Detroit to Houston direct for one beat writer to cover one baseball game that Justin Verlander's pitching. And that's a problem on on multiple levels that I want to talk about. Because Justin Verlander doesn't dictate who writes about his games. Once we start talking about that, you're talking about players and teams controlling the narrative. That's not journalism. That's not covering a game. That's you deciding, I like this guy better. He tells more positive things. I want him here. I don't like the way he said things last time. I don't want him here. That doesn't matter. You don't have to get along and be friends with everybody in every industry. And you hear a lot of these stories in sports and media, how there are some really bristly relationships with some athletes and some reporters. That happens. That happens in every line of work. So whatever reason you don't like a reporter, there's ways around it to not make a scene. Instead, Verlander makes this scene and now comes off like he wants to control his own narrative, which is, again, it's in violation of the CBA. There's been an official complaint filed with the Baseball Writers of Association of Association of America, which we've talked about in, in recent episodes. They have their own issues in terms of Hall of Fame voting. Verlander comes off like a big baby. This sounds like sour grapes about something so minuscule, something so small 
in the big scheme of his very, very successful career and life, that it makes him come off like a baby. This man is a beat reporter for a newspaper, one of the top newspapers in the state of Michigan. And if you don't like him, that's fine. Say no comment. Skip over him. Instead, we now have a mid-30-something-year-old man, a, a, a pitcher who, by all accounts, might be the top three and four or five of his entire generation when it all is said and done. We have him throwing a tantrum. That's the only way to look at it. And the Houston Astros are backing that up. And I have a journalism degree. It's essentially a paperweight, like we talked about in today's day and age. But it's absolutely, it's disgusting. That's the only way I can think to phrase it properly, is I think it's disgusting. It's a, it's a horrible way to try to do business, to try to get your own story out on your own terms, which is just not the way it works. Not everything is sunshine and rainbows. And to be honest with you, Justin Verlander's life has been pretty darn sunshiny and rainbowy, all things considered. Starting next year, he's going to be the highest paid pitcher in all of Major League Baseball history. He's married to Kate Upton, has a beautiful child, has a World Series ring, has all these awards, and yet he's coming off like this because he didn't like that somebody printed some quotes on Twitter that he didn't think should have regarding seeing uh, you know, a lunar eclipse a couple of years ago. It's the epitome of childish, it's beneath him, and the fact that the he doubled down, the Houston Astros doubled down, when this whole thing could have been done and gone, well in the past of everybody and not even addressed, shows how poorly some of these people see the way that they are going to be perceived. It's an embarrassment, and it's been it's been stuck in my craw a little bit. I can't wrap my brain around why it was handled this way. And not only handled that way, it seems like it's kind of faded into the ether, even though there are some complaints filed and issues. And listen, they're both in the American League. They'll play again next year. Unless something drastic changes, this is going to be another discussion in one year. Like the guy or not, it's going to be a discussion in uh, next year. And, well, as long as one of them, those guys is writing for the Detroit Free Press and as long as one of those guys is pitching against the Detroit Tigers or happens to be on a team facing the Detroit Tigers. So I'll be interested, interested to see the resolution in this. Uh, hopefully in coming weeks, I, I, I honestly, I would like to see a reprimand for uh, the Houston Astros as an organization and Justin Verlander. Now, I, you don't suspend baseball games. That's ridiculous. But uh, an absolute fine and an apology are definitely in order, whether you like the guy or not. Uh, it's simply not the way to do business in today's day and age. So I wanted to get that off my chest. But the main thing I wanted to talk about this week is NFL contracts. And I have had, I have been fired up about this. I have been thinking, I, I've really changed my thinking in years past as I think I've talked about this. It's becoming harder and harder to become, to stay a fan of the NFL. The sport, the game might be fun, but when you take a few steps back and are able to look at it as a whole with the concussion issues, the way they've handled retired players and medical benefits and even pensions and the money-grubbing opportunities they seem to take at every opportunity, it it's hard to stay a fan of this league where it's billionaires and millionaires 
and people seem like they have to take sides. So you're a super fan of a team, you know, you're kind of rooting against a player to get a big money contract because you're super into the salary cap, whatever. If you take a step back from that and take a good look at it, it's hard to really compromise that in my brain. Rooting for, you know, rich, white billionaires who have seen their value and their monetary wealth go through the roof since owning NFL teams. Through the roof! And we're rooting against the athlete. We're rooting against these players to get what they deserve, the ones who are putting their bodies on the line, to not be covered in concussion settlements after they retire, to not have medical coverage, to have trouble getting out of bed. These stories make it a lot harder to stay a fan of the NFL. It's it's difficult to do uh, and, and to kind of separate the two. And I think there's, I think everybody has kind of a stage of being a fan. And you can be a fanboy. You can be, and that's fine. If you can, if you don't want to separate the two and take a step back, I totally understand that as well. It will ruin the way you watch the game. It will ruin the way you experience the game. But under any discussion of NFL players and contracts and signing. When every comment on social media has something to do with uh, somebody's fantasy team, or how this is affecting their, you know, their daily fantasy play for a few bucks, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. So this has kind of come up recently, most recently with the Ezekiel Elliott situation, the contract situation, which he is now signed to be the highest paid running back in the NFL in NFL history. Good for him. Six years, $90 million, which is a fake number, as anybody who follows the NFL knows. The real number is $50 million guaranteed, and that's the big one. That's $5 million more than Le'Veon Bell or or Todd Gurley, and is the most guaranteed to a running back in history, and he's 24 years old. So you had to pay the man. It seems that way. Jerry Jones finally acquiesced. He caved, had to pay Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott thinking that this might be a Super Bowl team. So pay the man to come to the team, to come to camp and try to put it all together for one or two years. And if not, well, that's happened before in Dallas. They'll figure a way out. My problem with this is the NFL is like I talked about. This rooting for rich billionaire owners and saying that Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott or anybody, anybody who holds out, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's, uh, you, you know, the, the left tackle for the Washington Redskins right now is holding out. It doesn't matter who. If you want to hold out for a better contract, I fully support it. So seeing comments about, well, honor your contract, honor your contract, which that's what it falls into, right? When you're on the internet and social media, which is a cesspool and the worst, things fall into two camps when you're, when you're discussing these contract extensions and players trying to get extended early. They fall into, well, he should honor his contract and play out what he signed initially. Or it falls into the other camp, which is, mind your own business, he's fighting for his own money. And that's more of the camp I fall into. And I fall into that idea because everybody, like this other side, talks about, oh, hey, he has to honor his contract. He signed the deal. Why can't he honor that deal now? Well, why don't the owners... How many players on a on a yearly basis who are in the year two of a year of a four year deal get cut in July or get cut the day after the Super Bowl? You know they're not what they were two years ago, so they're cut. 
the NFL is the only four of the big big four sports. It's the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. The only one, only one, who doesn't guarantee contracts. It's inexplicable to me that this is a system that the players have bargained for and agreed to in a salary cap era because the owners can't be trusted around themselves to not overspend on players. If you sign a three-year, $20 million contract tomorrow in the NHL and you get cut on Saturday, you're guaranteed that money. One way or another, you're getting that check. In the NFL, the most successful of the four sports leagues, I could sign a three-year, $8 million deal. And again, all you'll see is that big shiny number sticking up when you see it on the bottom scroll, either online or on ESPN. But if I sign that thing with zero guaranteed dollars, I could be cut the following day and get no money. None. Not a penny of that contract comes to me. So why is it this, well, Ezekiel Elliott should honor his contract. Well, Jerry Jones can decide to not honor that contract in two days. They've done it. The Dallas Cowboys have cut veterans. They've moved on from players in the middle of long-term contracts. Now everybody talks about, oh, guaranteed money, guaranteed money, guaranteed money. Yeah, you see guaranteed money for players like like Antonio Brown. You see guaranteed money for quarterbacks like Jared Goff just got the most guaranteed money ever. You see guaranteed money for these franchise players. But it's a lot like the wealth gap in this country. The top percentile, it's so overwhelmingly large that it makes the average guaranteed contract for an NFL player look a lot larger than it is. You have players getting $45 million guaranteed like Todd Gurley, $50 million guaranteed like Zeke Elliott. But what are those guys who are fighting for roster spots 51, 52, and 53 getting? What are those undrafted free agents getting? They're not getting anywhere near that. They're not even getting a livable wage, let alone you know guaranteed money in the millions. A lot of these undrafted free agents, and if they make the team, granted, it's a great story. It's fantastic. They're going to get the league minimum, which is somewhere in the mid-six figures, which, again, that's really good money. I am not discounting that whatsoever. Their signing bonus, their guaranteed, might be you know, $10,000, $5,000, $20,000. Compare that for a moment, if you will, to the numbers I just read you. With Jared Goff and Zeke Elliott and Todd Gurley, Antonio Brown, these top upper echelon athletes and players for these teams, getting 40 to $50 million up to $100 million. NFL contracts aren't fair. And I know what people are saying, and I understand. It's what was negotiated by the Players Association. I totally get it. And that's why I said two weeks ago that I think the NFL is going to have a work stoppage after next year. Since that last CBA has been signed, they've had to deal with concussion lawsuits. They've had to deal with more medical issues. They've had to deal with punishment issues in terms of Roger Goodell. They've had more unrest in the last 10 years than they had in the 20 years before it. And they had nearly had a strike before that. Yet this portion for the NFL's history has been the most tense. So that's why I think there will be a work stoppage because you're at an impasse. These owners like making billions of dollars. And they also like being able to point at that salary cap and say, sorry, I can't pay you anymore. I got to stay under this number that was designed by a computer algorithm because I'm not responsible enough with my own checkbook. It's the weirdest thing in sports I've ever seen. 
Again, the NHL is guaranteed. If you play one day on a 40-man roster, on an active 40-man roster in Major League Baseball, in the big leagues, you're guaranteed a pension. How is it that the NFL is the furthest behind all of the major sports, yet they're making the most money? They have the most TV money. They have the biggest stadium deals, naming rights, all of these things. Yet they're the the worst in terms of treating their own employees out of any four of those sports. I can't wrap my brain around that. And I can't and it makes it harder when I see these people write, writing things like, you know, he should, you know, play the damn game, play your play your contract out. When it's not a two-way street, there needs to be some type of system where these players are guaranteed a downside of the contract they signed, fake number and all. It says $80 million, I don't care. That should be what the number is. There's too many ways to manipulate this, and the athletes are in less of a positive position to be able to do anything. Zeke Elliott is now in a spot where he has a lot of that fan base mad at him anyway. He's going to be there for week one. He's healthy. By all, by all accounts, he looks great. But he has turned fans against him simply by trying to get what is owed, to, what he thinks is owed to him. He didn't choose to sign this rookie contract when he entered the NFL. He was drafted in a slot. Those slots are given a certain amount of money. That's what you sign at. It doesn't matter the position. It doesn't matter if you're at a premium position like running back or quarterback. Or if you're a safety. That's your slotted position. That's how much money you make. So for people to say Zeke Elliott, you know, oh, he signed the contract. That's not really true. He didn't negotiate anything. He was forced to sign this and underpaid, which he has outperformed and outplayed in his first three years in the league. No question. No question he's outperformed that monetarily and on the field. So for people to sit there and accuse him of, of being greedy, well, you know what? Sure. And he should be. He's at a position where his lifespan is the most limited of any lifespan in the NFL. You still have, you know, most every other position playing into their mid to late 30s. You don't see that with a running back. You haven't seen that since Emmett Smith. You have uh, some extreme cases like Frank Gore and Carlos Hyde who are in their mid 30s. And they've been on five to six teams. But they haven't had the wear and tear like Zeke Elliott has. Zeke Elliott is the definition of a bell cow back. And he wanted to be paid like it. And you know what? Good for him. He got what he deserved. I'm happy for Zeke Elliott, and I'm, I'm glad to see that. But it's it, it's it's infuriating to see these people fall in line, rooting for rich billionaires to kind of get what to get richer and to be able to kind of count their pennies and not you know pinch their pennies, not have to spend any more than they have to. Like it's their own money. We should all be rooting for these players, putting their bodies on the line for us on a weekly basis, to get what they think they deserve. At some point, the market will shake out. You see these holdouts. Who's winning these holdouts? More often than not, it's the player. Zeke Elliott won his holdout. Antonio Brown got what he wanted. The only player right now who isn't really getting what they want is Melvin Gordon. And I think Melvin Gordon, he might not be in the wrong because, like I said, I support a player trying to get what he can. I don't know that his demands are reasonable. And I don't know that the market dictates what Melvin Gordon should get. And I don't know what Marvin Melvin Gordon would get on that open market if he were to be a free agent tomorrow. So I think there's a little bit of expectation issue with him 
compared to what the the Los Angeles Chargers want to do compared to what Zeke Elliott was trying to show, which is, hey, I'm the premier running back in the NFL. Melvin Gordon is not that. But more often than not, these players are winning these holdouts. Valuable players at positions of value have some power. And this is going to become more contentious, and it's going to become a bigger sticking point in terms of guaranteed money when we start talking more collective bargaining agreement over the next year here as it comes to end after the 2020 season. Like I said, enjoy football. I don't think, I I, I think this is going to be the roughest negotiation in my lifetime, which again, there's not a, there hasn't been that many, but I don't see this going very well. I don't see it going very smooth. So that is my most intriguing storyline here coming into the next few years overall for sports. The simple idea of will there or will there not be a work stoppage in the NFL in 2021? Um, those are the main two things I wanted to get to today. So as uh, as I like to do, usually I want to close up shop with some some rate my take this week. So going through the list, and again, I'm sorry, I don't have all of them from Hot Take Summer and Hot Take Fridays. So please keep sending them my way using hashtag rate my take and using hashtag Hot Take Friday so I can kind of separate them and save them and uh, and get to them in coming episodes uh, on social media, preferably on Twitter or Facebook at Steve and Kyle, you can uh, you can tweet us there. First one I want to get to this week, and this is you know I've had this conversation with you guys. I've had it with this with you guys. So one more time, I'm going to go ahead and make friend of this podcast and friend of the Steve and Kyle podcast and friend of Steve's side gig, Jeremy Koss. I have to make an example of him, and I don't want to do this. I feel bad doing this, Jeremy. But when you send me something like this. For a non-sports tape, all drivers should have to take a road skills test before renewing your license every time you renew. And I'm not going to read your your you know your bullet points and all this you know garbage you added on there. Keep your takes simple, people. You know that's that's that that's that's so low. That's so low on the rate my take scale. I don't even know if I should rate it. Because I tried to explain this to everybody. For it to be a hot take, it has to be something that the majority wouldn't agree with. And boy, oh boy, is there a more tired argument on the planet than everybody else is a worse driver than me. So Jeremy, this is a 1 out of 10 fire emoji. And I demand you step it up. I want a different take from you by the time I record this, the next episode of Sports Tate. It'll be out in two weeks. I demand a better take from you. I need something, a little fire. There's got to be something in the down there in the take volcano that needs to be released that most people wouldn't agree with. Most people would agree with you that, oh yeah, everybody, all drivers suck. All drivers should need to re-up their uh, re-ups before they can get on the road. Okay. Snooze. You know, wake me up when you've actually got a take on something. Two more this week. One I wanted to get to. Jesse Douglas, friend of the show, madman, musician, DJ Dead Bunny or whatever he goes by. The first season of The Boys was better than the first season of any HBO show to date. I mean, now that right there, that's a hot take. 
Jesse Douglas, congratulations, because that right there is a certified hot take. When you look at the history of HBO television, you have The Wire, you have The Sopranos, you have Game of Thrones, you have some of the biggest event television ever. You could throw Big Little Lies in there, which won a billion awards. And Jesse Douglas comes out with The Boys, new Amazon Prime show, saying it's better than the first season of any HBO show to date. Jesse Douglas, that right there, my friend, is an 8 out of 10 hot take. I respect it. And again, it's important for me. I am an impartial hot take judge here. You send the takes in. I simply judge the validity, not the, not the, uh, my opinion on the take, but I simply judge if the take is hot enough and where it ranks on the hot take thermometer. And Jesse Douglas, that's an eight out of 10. That is a beautiful effort at a hot take. I respect the hell out of it. Um, I disagree. I absolutely disagree. But again, that's neither here nor there. This is the, the avenue for the listeners. And I respect that. This is the avenue for uh, people who listen to this podcast to distribute their takes. And I simply rate them. I simply rate them uh, and, and move along down the list. The next one I wanted to get to, friend of this show, met him in Van Wert, Ohio. Met him in, uh, in, in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan at a comedy show. One half of the bookies known as the Brothers Humphrey. Stephen Humphrey. And Stephen Humphrey, if you've listened to uh, the main podcast, the Stephen Kyle podcast, you know this argument, I believe, has come up that I think pizza puffs are the worst food on the planet. They're an abomination. It's air puffed dough. There's nothing in there. And they're giving you a cup of nacho cheese. Well, you know what else I can get is a is an elephant ear at a carnival. It's the same thing. I could go, you know, heat up some white bread. And that's what I have. Same thing. But neither here nor there. That's not the point. Again, I am an impartial judge. Stephen Humphrey drops a hot tape that pizza puffs are delicious. Huh. Um, I don't know how to rate that, Stephen, simply because, well, it infuriates me to my core. And I won't dignify it any further with a response. I give you a 5 out of 10 simply because you've made me so upset with this. And I feel like, just like the polls on the podcast go, you're doing it simply to uh, to infuriate me. Well, job well done. The last hot take I wanted to get to here is from friend of the show. Met and met, hung out with him in Boston. Hung out with him in Van Wert, Ohio. Has done some beautiful digital art for us. A good man. A good father. And he dropped a hot take on us this past week. Zach Ruddick comes at us and he did it the proper way announcing that he'll be dropping a blistering hot take on Hot Take Friday, which is obviously the perfect time to do it. And he unleashed one. He did unleash one. Zach states, quote, Las Vegas is a gaudy, neon-lit dumpster filled with human garbage. And anybody who is too into it has awful taste. They're the same people that wait two hours to 
to get into Olive Garden in Times Square. Whew! My goodness! I think Zach took a step away from his phone after that and had to blow the smoke off his fingers from that hot take. Zach, that right there, that's an 8.5 out of 10. And I apologize for letting a little bit of my personal bias come into that, into rating that hot take, because I can see why a lot of people don't like Las Vegas. And sure, if you want to go search it out, Zach Ruddock and me, yeah, we had a bit of a disagreement, and I may have, you know, quote-unquote, threatened his existence over this hot take that he unleashed. But I understand why people don't like Las Vegas. If you don't gamble, it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to enjoy being there. Sure, there's shows, but are you really doing five shows in five nights and spending a billion dollars? No, it's a gambling town. Everybody understands that. So I understand why people wouldn't like Las Vegas. So uh, a little bit of personal bias coming in on that rate in my take. So I apologize. But that's an 8.5 out of 10. Zach, I don't apologize to you for threatening your existence. I stand by what I said to you. We will fist fight to the death over this take that I couldn't disagree with more. So that's this week's version of Rate My Take. Send those in at so- on social media at Steve and Kyle at KPAFF3587. Hashtag Rate My Take. Uh, and we'll see everybody again, hopefully, uh, today. You're, if, you're here, if you're listening to this on release day, it's Hot Take Friday. Hashtag Hot Take Friday. So get those things ready. Load the cannonballs into the cannons. Prepare to shoot those and... Uh, you know, let your volcano loose today on Hot Take Friday. Uh, the last thing I wanted to get to today, because I skipped it last time. Very quickly, I wanted to mention what I'm obsessing over this week. And what I'm obsessing over right now is I'm a horror movie fan. I appreciate most types of horror movie. I appreciate the slasher. I appreciate, you know, the, the campy, nostalgic ones. But when there's an original horror story brought to life and in theaters that is kind of out of nowhere. It's like an extra thrill in my life for me. I absolutely love it. I cherish it and I can't wait to see it. It's happened with Jordan Peele on a couple of occasions now, but the last time I remember something so unique as this in terms of, uh, the genre. And again, I'm not, I'm not really counting the Jordan P us and get out. Those appear to be on another level was probably Cabin in the Woods. But I had a chance to see Ready or Not this past weekend. And if you are into this type of movie, and it's not horror like a ghost trying to haunt somebody or what Steve makes fun of with a bat and a mask and things that go bump in the night. This is an, a, a true authentic tale or an original story told beautifully. Beautifully with a very nice cast. No... Standout superstar stealing the spotlight. Samara Weaving plays the lead character, marrying into a wealthy family known for their board game history and and their board game and gaming company. And the night of the marriage finds out she, in order to become an official part of the family, has to play a game. That's how they initiate new members into the family when you're and you're officially accepted. So she chooses a card to play the game. And all hell, all hell breaks loose from there. I'm not going to spoil any more. Safe to say, Adam Brody, a very nice job, most known from the OC. Samara Weaving, an absolute scene stealer as the as the new entry into the family. 
uh, playing the damsel in distress, if you will, an absolute must see if you're into that type of movie, a horror, horror slash thriller. But boy, oh boy, is this unique, had some very nice, uh, uh, twists and turns to it. Very enjoyable. Highly recommend ready or not. It's in theaters right now. And I always like to, uh, promote and enjoy, like I said, an original true story. Not everything has to be, you know, super franchisey. As much as I do like the Spider-Mans and the comic books and the, you know, the Toy Story 4s and whatnot, it's always very refreshing to see something like this and genuinely have no idea what you're going to see when you sit down in that theater. So ready or not, in theaters now, please, if that movie is interesting, is, is interesting to you, that type of movie, please go see it now. You will not regret it. That is all the time we have for this week. I appreciate everybody listening. Hashtag rate my take. Send those in on social media. You can also send one in. Uh, we have the uh, you know we have the phone number, the Google Voice, if you will, four two four three zero SKPod. That is four two four three zero seven five seven six three. Please send those in. Uh, you can either text it, you can call, leave a voicemail. I'd love to utilize some of those. Uh, in in upcoming episodes here of Sports Tate. Uh, We'll be back for another episode here coming up in a few weeks. Uh, We are might be a little more frequent or maybe maybe a little less frequent. It all depends on how the schedule is going to shake out with the impending birth of Steve's baby daughter. So we will kind of be on a wait-and-see approach if we're able to only maybe do a short episode of the Steve and Kyle podcast. Maybe I can release... A little bit more of these to kind of fill the void a little bit if you're into sports. So uh, utilize that, 42430SKPod, at Steve and Kyle on Facebook and Twitter. Please re- hashtag rate my take. Always love following that on, uh, on Hot Take Friday as well. Uh, thanks, everybody, for contributing. We'll talk to you next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.